0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds at plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction, in the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwash Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the national community radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of... Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. If you'd like to leave a message, you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052, email email us at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at dot net. My name is Joseph Toscari, I'm hosting today's program. Anarchy, no, it's not what's happening in Ukraine. Imperial wars, imperial powers, fighting it out in a third country, the Ukrainian people, the meat and the sandwich, the victims in these imperial ambitions. But we'll talk about that later on. We have spoken about that before, but we'll reinforce that particular opinion. Anarchism from an without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You look at what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, declare war, bankrupt people, and the list goes on and on. It's inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle? The anarchist struggle is the struggle to Share power, devolve power, break down hierarchy. It's the struggle to hold wealth in common and use for the common good. Simple concepts. You don't need a PhD in political science. Exceptionally simple concepts that people have been struggling for since the beginning of time. That universal battle. It's not a battle between two worldviews. It's a battle between those who want to control, those who concentrate power in their hands, those who concentrate wealth in their hands and the great majority of the world which is trying to revert that problem. Very simple. So if you're involved in the struggle to share wealth, hold wealth in common, the struggle to break down hierarchy and share power, possibly through direct democratic means, then whether you like it or not, you have the mark of Cain tattooed on your forehead. You're an anarchist. All right, let's move on. Now... Look, it's going to be a particularly difficult program. Uh, the concepts we're going to look at, you may not have heard before. And uh, when we talk, talk about new concepts, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to keep up, especially you know, in a program like this. So, the first thing I'd like to talk about is the Putinization. You like that word? Putinization of the Australian economy. So, what's Putin and the Australian economy? Have in common the putinization of the Australian economy. Now, the Russian economy is based on crony capitalism. That means private investment for private profit by cronies, friends, fellow travelers. And how have these fellow travelers become billionaires in Russia? And why uh, do, to, to a significant degree, they owe their position to the current Russian political system? And what has it got to do with Australia and our economy? And when you look at both situations, there are some extraordinary similarities. Now, most of the billionaires behind Putin gained their wealth not through smart investment or through hard work. That's what we're told billionaires do, not that I believe it. But they gained their wealth by acquiring ownership of state assets which had been owned by the the Russian or the Soviet Communist Party since the revolution in 1917. So between 1917, I think it was 1992, 1991, when the Soviet Empire collapsed, we saw the evolution and development of large state enterprises, collective enterprises. And when the Soviet Union fell apart, and many of its territories, which it had conquered over the the past 70 to 80 years, kind of uh, gained independence, Russia was left with these vast state enterprises which fell into the hands of cronies, of former bureaucrats in the Russian Communist Party who were able to acquire these assets for almost nothing, for almost nothing. So the blood and sweat and tears of generations of Russia, within two to three years, became the private property of a group of people, mainly men, who then, through their economic domination, were able to dominate and continue to dominate the political process. That's what crony capitalism is about. Now, if we move forward to Australia in 2022, and we look at the the last four and a half decades during the privatisation, globalisation, deregulation, corporatisation revolution, which has swept the world, and especially Australia, where we have kind of seen it as the new messiah, You know, neoliberalism, the new messiah, the biblical tract of the new messiah. So what have we seen in Australia in the last 40 years? We've seen the growth of crony capitalism. And crony capitalism, which has been built on the back of state assets, Been privatised, of creating superhighways to the Australian Treasury. I'll give you a few examples. It's not just a matter of you know the sale of the of the um, uh, telecom or uh, Medibank privates, and the list goes on and on. It's not just the sales at bargain basement prices of CSL at $2.50. It's much, much more than that. It's the creation of an economic network which is controlled by a small number of people which ultimately dictate legislation through Parliament. Parliament not at the point of a gun, but at the point of economic control. For example, let's look at the fate of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, a wonderful concept which I fought for for over four decades. What's happened to the National Disability Insurance Scheme? And we saw the same... uh, situation occur with the early childhood development, aged care, and the list goes on and on. What happens is this. It's very simple. Taxpayers' money is used to create an organisation which provides services and care to Australians. Things like the old unemployment office. What happens is initially that the door is open to private enterprise. That's right. The door is open to private enterprise to invest in inverted commerce, and the state, the federal government, pays those private providers to provide services which could be provided at a fraction of the price by a public service. Initially, hundreds if not thousands of providers flock to the uh, honeypot, and it is a honeypot, and I could tell you stories because I'm still involved in this type of uh, industry, the health industry, which is based on disability that would make your health, here cool but as time goes by smaller players go bankrupt or if they're successful they're taken over by larger and larger fish and by the end of a few years you have three or four large corporations dominating that particular sector relying on government money to prosper. Look at the bureaucracy that has grown round providing unemployment services and in inverted commerce, all the private organizations that are involved in that. Aged care is a classical example of what happens when these people get their hands on the financial levers. The same is now happening to the National Disability Insurance Scheme, where we've seen the corporatisation of the National Disability Insurance Scheme and competition going out the door. We saw the same thing happen with the privatisation of telecom. And the list goes on and on. So in many regards... Many of these so-called corporations, which now provide services to the Australian public on behalf of the Australian government, are almost 100% funded by the taxpayer. That's what crony capitalism is about. We saw it in the mining sector, where we have a few billionaires controlling this country's wealth as far as extraction of resources from the ground is concerned. So we've got this crony capitalism which has come into Australia, which is now a feature of Australian society, exactly the same as we see in Russia. And the similar, similarities are extraordinary in terms of how they began and how they prospered. So when I talk about the putinisation of the Australian economy, I'm talking about the corporatisation of the Australian economy, the growth of crony capitalism, and its growth to such an extent that it is able to apply extraordinary pressures on the political framework under which we work, under parliamentary democracy, extraordinary pressures. They are too big to fail. We saw it with the banking sector. We've seen it with the aged care sector, where Royal Commission after Royal Commissions make findings which make your hair stand on end. But nothing ever changes. Not one person was ever charged with anything from the banking sector as a result of the Banking Royal Commission. Everybody walked away, Scott three, despite the impact they had on people's lives, the suicides they caused, the bankruptcy they caused, the destruction of families they caused. Not one person was ever charged. That's what crony capitalism is about. It's about corporatization. It's about corporations having an extraordinary impact on the political process. With a federal election almost upon us, and it needs to be held before the end of May, we are seeing the major political parties strut around talking about minuscule changes to the consume, defecate, die economic model, which we currently think is a sacred text, that there is no other way for things to change. That's where we come in. There are other ways. Human beings have always found other ways. Crony capitalism, the putinisation of the Australian economy is not the way forward for the Australian people. I keep saying on this program over and over and over again, you know, until I feel sick, 25 million people living on a continent, resource-rich. And we can't even provide emergency accommodation for people who've been flooded out, burnt out. We have to have private charities to help Australian kids go to public schools. We have over a million children living in poverty. We have a majority of the population spending anywhere between 30 to 50 to 60% of their income every week to keep a roof over their head. About the only thing we produce with this so called resources boom has been an increasing number of disgusting billionaires. Think about it. Think about what's happening to your country. Well, it's not your country, it's their country. We just live here, all right? Think about what's happening. Think about what happened to this country's First Nations people, how they were treated. Think about how you're being treated. Think about the similarities. Because ultimately, if you look at history, and unfortunately in this country we think history is what happened yesterday, not what happened 10, 20, 30, 100 years ago. If you look at history, every change that has come has come at a price. And when we have nationalism and imperialism and you know flag waving and strutting around and militarism as our dominant concerns, it's no wonder that we continue to accept crony capitalism, the putinisation of the Australian economy, as fact. You listen to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia. By the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. Duty of care. Now, I was, I was fascinated when uh, Justice Bromberg, was it Bromberger, made a decision when some uh, young activists took the judicial pathway into the courts, which found that the Australian Minister for the Environment had a duty of care to future generations when legislation was being uh, enacted. The reality is the appeal has once again shown that the Australian Government has no duty of care, no judicial duty of care. The case has been described as a judicial frolic. I mean, when it comes to change, there's the hard way and there's the relatively easy way. And a lot of Australians, for far too long, have believed that the way forward, as far as the climate emergency is concerned and many other issues are concerned, is the judicial pathway. Let's find a judicial pathway through the laws. Let's find a little cul-de-sac, a narrow track, which can be exploited to bring in fundamental changes. Well, the Australian Constitution is constructed in such a way as to ensure that its Parliament, not the judiciary, which makes legislation. And there is nothing in the Australian Constitution that says the government has a duty of care to future generations, let alone its citizens. Under the Australian Constitution, if there was a majority in both Houses of Parliament, both in the House of Representatives and the Senate, You could legally pass legislation to jail blue-eyed two-year-olds because they are the spawn of the devil. I mean, that's the propaganda at that particular point in time in our history. Two-year-olds are the spawn of the devil. We jail the two-year-olds and everything will be hunky-dory. There is nothing, nothing... In the Australian Constitution, that has anything to do with protecting the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. The Australian Constitution is essentially an agreement between six colonies who decided to federate and a central government, which was formed as a result of that federation. And the individual or minorities, even the majority, are irrelevant. It's Parliament which makes legislation. But unfortunately, in a society which is dominated by crony capitalism, they ultimately decide what type of legislation occurs. And if you think you're going to go through the courts and somehow unseat these people who have concentrated power and wealth into their hands... You know, from their, uh, remove their hand from the Treasury. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And what this, I think, will do, this decision will do, is radicalise young Australians. Yes, I use that horrible word, radicalise young Australians, to understand that if they want action on climate change, they need to get out of the judicial labyrinth and get back out on the streets and continue to put pressure, daily pressure, in a variety of ways, current governments and future governments. That is the way forward. If you think you can take a shortcut through the judiciary, think again. There is nothing, nothing, in the Australian Constitutional Framework, which means that Parliament has a duty of care. The High Court has found that under the Australian Constitution that citizens and non-citizens, as we've seen with asylum seekers and other people, can be jailed indefinitely without charge. Under the Australian Constitution, you can have different laws for different sections of society. There are laws which the CFMMEU, the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime Energy Union and Forestry Union is subject to that no other individuals in society are subjected to. They have no right to refuse to answer questions, to incriminate them. The right to strike has basically been removed. And constitutionally, there is nothing to protect any of that and if you think that constitutionally you have a right to unemployment benefits you have a right to a disability pension you have a right you know to uh freedom of speech a right to freedom of assembly a right to freedom of association and that your citizenship somehow confers you these rights think again and what this court judgment is basically a wake up call to the younger members of our society to, to understand that if you want change, that change comes from direct action. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can uh, email us at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com, info at pibci, p-i-b-c-i dot net. A few Facebook pages, public housing, everybody's business, defend and extend public housing. Uh, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the public, YouTube channels, public interest before corporate interests. webpage page, anarchistmedia.org p i b c i dot net, and the list goes on and on. It doesn't matter how many virtual, Instagrams, TikTok, you name it, platforms there are out there. Ultimately, it's what happens on the ground. Ultimately, whether change occurs or not will depend on whether you're willing or able, and the key word is able or willing, to get out of that chair and become active. If you're not, well... It will be repeats and reruns of the past will be a future. At least to the Anarchist World this week. Now, the evil Teflon Empire. Sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? The evil Teflon Empire. Well, I'm going to tell you a story which was virtually ignored, which has been ignored for decades. And I'll tell you about a man who's about to kowtow Mr. Boris Johnson at the feet of the evil Teflon Empire. And why do I call it an evil Teflon Empire? Because irrespective of the horrors that are occurring in Ukraine and Syria and many other places of the world, the institutionalised horrors that occur in the evil Teflon Empire are our making. This is the West's children. We are responsible for the evil Teflon Empire. And what I'm talking about is the House of Saudi, the House of Saudi which dominates the Arabian Peninsula, an evil empire which was created by the British... And supported by the United States. I know it's all about Ukraine, but a few days ago, 81 men were executed by the feudal monarchy that runs the Arabian Peninsula. I don't call it Saudi Arabia, Saudi is just one tribe of the 72 tribes which live on the Arabian Peninsula, which dominate the Arabian Peninsula, a nasty, evil, miserable, misogynistic, homophobic empire, feudal empire. So how does this feudal empire, which has some of the most repressive legislation on earth, continue to function? Continue to expand. Continue to create war in the Middle East through support by the West. Yeah. Now I'm told there's a hundred thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand Russian troops involved in the invasion of the Ukraine. I don't know. That's what I'm told wonder if you know how many military bases there are, United States military bases there are in the Arabian Peninsula. Five. And do you know how many United States troops are stationed in the house in the Arabian Peninsula, ruled by the feudal monarchy, the House of Saudi? 65,000. There are 65,000 American troops. There's 5,000 left in Iraq, 800 in Syria but 65,000 protecting the House of Saudi. Now let's go back to these executions. Just in case you think they were executing murderers and thieves, think again. Over half of those executed were Shia Muslims from one city on the Arabian Peninsula, who 10 years ago, during the Arab Spring, were were involved in protests. That's right, protests against the feudal monarchs. 41 from one city of less than 400,000 executed of that 80. Another one of those executed was a 14-year-old, was a a young man who was 23 and at the age of 14 he was accused of murdering somebody. We know, very hazy, very difficult to get information about the House of Saudi. As I told you a few weeks ago, over $7.5 billion of Afghan money have been frozen in the United States government and half will be filtered down to assist Afghan people going through a difficult time the other half 3.5 billion is going to go towards compensating families of victims of the nine eleven outrage when every single person on those planes was a Saudi citizen and every attempt to bring the House of Saudi, an evil empire, a Teflon empire because of the United States and Western support, to justice has failed. And why? Well, they've got oil. They've got lots of oil. And Boris Johnson, despite the 81 executions, 40 of which were, as I said, protesters, is going to kowtow in front of the princes in order to ensure there's a little bit more oil flows in the direction of Britain. Think about it. A feudal monarchy, a feudal monarchy which publicly executes people by chopping off their heads in public squares, a feudal monarchy whose prisons are filled with thousands of political prisoners, a feudal monarchy that was happy to use the West's concentration in the Ukraine to execute Shia protesters who were protesting about their second-rate status in the Arabian Peninsula under the rule of the House of Saudi. And with the Melbourne Cup coming up, I can see us all kowtowing to some Saudi prince because their horse is in the Melbourne Cup. So we can do things. If it's good enough to ban Russian athletes for Russia's intervention in the Ukraine, wouldn't it be good enough to ban the feudal princes from the House of Saudi in participating in the Melbourne Cup? And just in case you think... These are not evil people. Just remember what happened to Khosadji. He was a critic, a Saudi Arabian critic of the government. He escaped and achieved political asylum in the United States. He had to go back. He went to the Turkish Saudi Arabian embassy in Turkey, was bundled into the back room, suffocated, his body was dismembered by a special force that had been sent for this very reason by, you know, the feudal princes, then it was liquefied, so there'd be no evidence of his death. These are the type of people which we support and continue to support and ensure that continue to wreak havoc in the Middle East. Look at what's happening in Yemen. Yemen with the support of the United States government and the mercenaries which are hired and paid for by the House of Saudi. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And was there any comment by the United States regarding the 81 executed? No. I'm quite confident there would have been it was somewhere else. This is The Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Think about it next time you watch the Melbourne Cup. Think about what we're actually involved in. And why I call them the evil Teflon Empire? Well, it is an evil empire. It is a feudal monarchy. But while the West continues to support them, while the United States has 65,000 American troops stationed in uh, the Arabian Peninsula to protect the House of Saudi, anything that they do is irrelevant, as long as they promise to give their oil, or sell, sorry, (laughs) I use the word nobody gives in this business, sell their oil to the West. So, let's move on to the Ukraine. I know, I mean, the suffering there is enormous, the suffering in Syria over the last 10 years has been enormous, it's enormous suffering. And I feel sorry for the Ukrainian people because they are now the meat in the sandwich in an imperial war. These are imperial wars. These are not ideological wars. These are wars of domination. These are wars about resources. These are wars. And the Ukraine, under its government, which was not willing to compromise, now finds itself in a situation where its infrastructure and people are being bombed back to the Dark Ages. This is a proxy war. And we saw these proxy wars play out during the last imperial period when the Soviet Union and the West had proxy wars in the Congo, in Angola, in Mozambique, in Nicaragua, and the list goes on and on. Now we have a proxy war in the Ukraine. On the one hand, you've got the Russian government under Putin, which has imperial aspirations, aspirations to dominate, invade other sovereign nations, states, possibly, as they say, for their own protection, but more importantly, to access important resources. The Ukraine has always been known as the bread bowl of the West and of Russia. And on the other side, you've got the United States, which goaded and pushed the government of the Ukraine not to enter into negotiations with the Russians before this unnecessary war broke out. Now, obviously, the United States knew what was happening. They knew that this would be the eventual Outcome. They knew that if the Soviet Union was bogged down in the Ukraine, that their imperial ambitions would dissipate, and then they could realign their forces to face their other imperial rival, the Chinese. And if you think this is about ideology, communism, it's not. It's about capitalism and access to resources. So every time you see a missile land in an apartment complex, every time you hear about the people who have died, think about the reason that we are having this unnecessary war which is drawing us closer to a possible world war. That's right. doesn't take much. doesn't take much when you think about it. And the poor Ukrainian people, the meat in the sandwich the disposable commodities, the collateral damage in a war between two imperial powers which through economic boycotts, through economic sanctions, through military excursions, through military bases continue to think that they and they alone have the right to exist and prosper on this planet. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, this is an extraordinary, extraordinary story. Extraordinary story. But I think it highlights the bankruptcy of the Liberal Party, the moral, ethical, Bankruptcy of the Victorian branch of the Liberal Party. Now, look, I've got no love for the Andrews government—a government which has privatized public housing. No love for them whatsoever. A government which is using a divide and rule mentality, in order, as far as uh, this, country, this, this Victoria's First Nations people are concerned, and the list goes on and on. But they. Seen in a a state election in November, they felt, well, we better do something nice. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, before vaccination, when people were dying at more uh, extraordinary rates than today, one of the big problems was... That casual workers, and let's not forget, most people in aged care facilities, many people in the public hospital sector, many people in the private hospital sector, many people in the food delivery, or most people in the food delivery sector, are all casual workers. Now, if you're a casual worker, you're entitled to nothing except the pay you get at the end of the day. No holiday pay, no sick pay, and all that. It's supposed to be incorporated into your pay, obviously in a Uber led economy, it's not so what happened is a lot of casuals who had COVID-19 symptoms went to work because usually casual workers are those that are the most lowly paid and if you don't go to work you don't get paid, if you don't get paid you can't pay the rent You you know what it's like, you've all been through it I mean, the great thing about living in a capitalist economy, private investment for private profit, you ain't got any plastic in your pocket or any numbers on your smartphone or any coins in your pocket. You're entitled to nothing. You know that, I know that. So the Andrews-led Labor government has made this Very, 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 very minor reform. Well, it likes to. It's going to introduce five days. That's half of what somebody who's a permanent worker receives. Five days sick pay for casual workers. Five days. Not much, and for the first two years, it's going to fund it, and after that, it'll get the private sector to fund it. I assume through uh, through some type of levy. Now, the Victorian Liberal Party, raced to the barricades, led by Matthew Guy, the two time loser, rushed to the barricade and said, "This is evil. This is bad." This is horrible. If we're elected to government in November, we will overturn this legislation. We will overturn this legislation to provide five days sick pay to casual workers to protect the community from the spread of disease We will go to the barricades. We will sacrifice ourselves. We will fight to the last man, woman and child in the Liberal Party in order to overturn this decision. (laughs) Extraordinary. I'm laughing because it really highlights the moral bankruptcy, the ethical bankruptcy, the stupidity, the ignorance... Of the Victorian Liberal Party, a party which is now dominated by religious fundamentalists, neo-liberals, and IPA cohorts. Save me, gods, save me, save me from these people. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. No, 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 going to the barricades, you know, for public housing. barricades to uh, try to avert homelessness. No, no, barricade, sick pay for casuals. Not on. Not on. Thank you, Matthew Guy, whatever you call yourself. Let's move on. China's self-reliance push. Now, I feel a bit concerned bit concerned, the world is concerned as these imperial powers, the pretender Russia, who's going to be uh, elbowed out of the game in the next year or two, but the contenders, the US, which is the world imperial power, and the Chinese government, which considers itself a contender, a contender imperial ambitions. Now, there was an idea once of self reliance, and I think the pandemic has highlighted how we're hostages to globalization, especially here in Australia. Now, self reliance is being able to feed your people, defend yourself, and have the natural resources at your disposal. They don't have to be on your sovereign land, but natural resources at your disposal in order to survive in case of an economic boycott or in case of some type of conflict. Over the last 10 years, we've seen a huge shift in China, and the shift has been from being a major export producer... Commodities for the West and the rest of the world to producing for their own population and self reliance as far as access to natural resources are concerned and defence is concerned. And this is a worrying feature. And it's a worrying feature because we are on the road to world government, not world government as some idiots say, via the UN, which has got no power. But world government, by some imperial power, having total domination of planet Earth. And we are seeing this little play begin. And if you think, because we live in Australia, at the end of the world a European enclave in an Asian heartland, that somehow we're protected. The fact is we don't have an independent foreign policy. Our foreign policy is a mirror image of the US foreign policy and that means that Australia has now become the front line of this proxy war. And this proxy war we've seen with inhibition of trade with China and this proxy war will intensify as the Chinese become more self-reliant in terms of natural resources which they are acquiring from South America and the African continent. And this proxy war will continue over the next few decades. And we're the losers because we have chosen sides we have chosen sides and if you think the united states will come to australia's defense if it means that it compromises the survival of the united states of america look what's happened in the ukraine look what happened in afghanistan and you can see that unless we pursue an independent foreign policy, which none of the major political parties are willing to pursue, that we are basically another zone for a proxy war. And if that proxy war is economic, which we are in now, or, or whether it's more confrontational, that's a matter for debate. But um, the Morrison government, the Morrison-led Liberals, National Party government, has been a total disaster over the last three years. Disaster in terms of leadership. Disaster in terms of response to the emergencies we've faced as a nation, bushfires, floods, pandemic. Disaster in terms of initiating new ideas. Disasters in terms of ensuring there's enough resources for this country's people. That brings me to the philanthropy. Philanthropy. Philanthropy is the failure of the state. Australian philanthropy is the failure of the state. As I keep saying, and I know this is boring, but it's true, we live in a resource-rich country. About the only thing we produce with our resources is billionaires. Don't even value-add in the majority of cases. Don't even have real jobs attached to it. So in steps Australian philanthropy. There are Australian charities everywhere. And I think to myself every morning, I'm sure these are wonderful people. They're doing their best. They've formed some organisation. They're trying to raise money from their fellow citizens because there's a failure. There's a failure of the state to deal with these issues, whether it's cancer research whether it's disaster relief, whether it's poverty, whether it's homelessness. There are over 30,000 registered charities in this country. I'm sure all with wonderful volunteers and workers trying to do the best they can. But why do we need one charity in Australia? I can understand having charities to deal with with problems overseas, where they don't have a social security system, where they don't have any resources. But why do we need a charity like the Smith family, wonderful people, asking Australians to sponsor Australian children so they can attend a public school? Extraordinary. Why do we have charities to provide tents, Are homeless. Well, isn't it the state's responsibility to provide accommodation? Why do we have charities to assist the flood victims? I mean, isn't that the government's responsibility? Especially a resource rich country like this, where all we do is create billionaires but never have enough resources to deal with this country's. Issues? Why don't we have enough staff to run a triple-O emergency line? Why are there never enough ambulances? Why do you have to wait months, years, for access to a public hospital bed if you have a chronic condition? Why do over a million children live in poverty? This is a resource-rich country. And I keep saying this isn't bloody Bangladesh a huge population which has taken in a million refugees from Myanmar oh we'd put them we'd put them who knows what we'd do for them. if there was a million refugees coming here I'm sure we'd have the uh, we'd have machine guns on every headland to uh, warn them off but that's the way we do it in Australia isn't it alright you've been listening to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia don't forget West Papua 27th of March if you are in Melbourne that's right, 27th of March, if you are in Melbourne, West Papua, 1pm uh, one, uh, 1 to about 4pm. And uh, we do have an auction uh, to raise money for the West Papua Rent Collective of David Mackenzie's handmade, recycled uh, timber furniture. should be quite a fascinating day. So if you are in Melbourne, come along. You don't have to register. Turn up, $10 for lunch. If you're not a West Papua and Rent Collective member, You don't pay for a Rent Collective member, you can join on the day and get a free lunch. listen to some uh, interesting Zoom discussions with the West Papua transitional government in West Papua. And also we have uh, Mr Wilkie, the the independent member for the uh, seat of Clare in Hobart, will be speaking also via Zoom as well as the auction and then uh, afternoon uh, tea and coffee. So I'll mention it next week. Now, let's not forget, it's our money that's used to train the Indonesian military to go to West Papua. There is one Indonesian soldier for every six West Papuan adults stationed in West Papua. Think about it. Think about it. We're all very good when it comes to the Chinese atrocities and Russian atrocities, but let's think of our own atrocities. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. That's right, the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast You can leave messages. I don't answer the phone. Leave a bloody message if you're in. 0439 395 489. I'll get back to you. Yes, I do answer letter. I was speaking to David McKenzie yesterday when I picked up the chairs and he's telling me that he loves writing letters. Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. And if you really feel like you want to do something positive, join Pipsy.net. Pips, public interest before corporate. Interest, go to Pipsy.net and you can actually join online. Thank you once again. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the Community Radio Network minds that plot destruction sorcerer of Death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events.